Welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont from DuPont Wealth Solutions. As a practicing advisor and attorney, Greg teaches pre-retirees how to reduce debt and taxes and save with less risk so they have more spendable income and plan their way to a better life. Join us for this journey where Greg draws on years of experience and guest experts to help listeners achieve more spendable income for retirement. Hello and welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont, DuPont Wealth Solutions. Greg, how are you? Uh, Eric, I'm doing great today. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. It is so good to be back with you. I'm excited about today's topic. It is, it's a bit weighty, but uh, I think it's very, very important. Yeah, you know, we spent a lot of energy uh, in this season with with guests on talking about some specific tools and specific uh, ways to deal with what I contend is going to be a potentially a long period of time of low growth, staggered growth, that type of stuff. And so today I wanted to give the audience a little bit of a history lesson so they can understand a little bit of the perspective that I have uh, and why I contend uh, that we got some rough waters that we got to get through ahead. So so we're going to look a little bit of history of the market and uh, try to make it interesting enough that people don't tune off be- between now and about 20 minutes from now. Okay. Well, I mean, here's the thing is that anybody who knows you knows that this type of education that you do, this is your passion. Um, Greg, I'm here to learn with the audience. I'm, I'm excited about diving in. Where do we even start with this topic? I'll start by asking a question, Eric, and ask the audience as one as well. You know, do you believe that history tends to repeat itself? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you believe that uh, every generation seems to believe that they've got it figured out and the prior generation had it all screwed up. Not only that, but the current generation usually blames the last generation for everything that is screwed up. That's just what I've seen at least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and in the market, we got a little bit of the same dynamics at play here. You know, we, we have uh, uh, something that has repeated itself over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we have seen repeatedly, uh, the financial wizards think they've got the market beat. And what happens? The market comes back and gives them um, a lesson. A beating. A beating. A beat. <laughs> they think they got a beat and the market beats them. Yeah. You know, and, you know, those that do not learn from history are doomed to repeat doomed. it right yeah yeah yep. yeah so so that's part of uh of the mission of this uh this podcast is to help educate people like you said and we have to understand where we are right now in a financial cycle uh, and our current education uh, seems to be a little bit lack in in that element so i'm, I'm going to start by asking you if you have you ever heard of the the schiller pe ratio by any chance I have heard the name, but I, I don't exactly understand what that is. Yeah. Well, it's it's a measure of price to earnings. Okay? okay. And it's a measure that's used by many uh, financial experts, you know, such as Warren Buffett, uh, mm-hmm. to make determinations about whether or not to buy an individual stock. Okay. And in the Schiller PE ratio is a measure as to history. Uh, uh, the last 10 years kind of is the benchmark on it that, that we will look at. And, and the one I'm going to talk about today is the S&P 500, the Schiller S&P 500 PE. Uh, but before I get in there, I'm going to give you an easy example of what PE really reflects. So uh, a num- it's a number based upon the prior 10 years. Okay. So let's say that I had a ice cream stand mm-hmm. that I wanted to sell to you. And, and I said... Eric, uh, I've got this ice cream stand. I've been running it for the last 15 years, uh, and I'd like to sell it to you. And you say, okay, I'm interested. Uh, Let me take a look at your books. And by the way, how much do you want to sell it for? 
And I say, well, Eric, I'm asking to, for you to pay me $2 million for my ice cream stand. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I know you have that under the, under the rug here, right? So you could have well, yeah, easy yeah, ability to pay. It's, ability to pay is not an issue. So, uh, so you take a look at my books uh, mm-hmm. and you see that over the last 10 years, I've essentially averaged $100,000 a year of income off of that ice cream stand. Mm-hmm. That I'm asking you to pay me twenty or two million dollars for. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, Eric, you want to buy my ice cream stand? Not exactly. Not not at this moment. No. Yeah, yeah it's hot in Omaha, right? <laughs> it is. I love ice cream, but uh, you so know. you'd eat your profits. <laughs> okay. You know me too well. But <laughs> <laughs> so that would be essentially a PE ratio of twenty. You're paying me twenty times my earnings uh, at two million dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So when we apply that to the S&P 500, uh, right now, as of today, uh, that Schiller P ratio for the S&P 500 is at 29.57. Okay. So you'd be paying me just under $3 million for that ice cream stand mm. using that as the, the, the benchmark. You know, and in, 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 in all fairness, and in, in more precision, you know, when people look at PE ratios, they do look at the individual companies, generally speaking. But we're looking at the market writ large because most investors listen to talk about the market, right? They talk about the S and P five hundred, right, or mm-hmm. the Dow. That's all they think about. So at twenty nine point five seven, I want you to understand. We've seen how the market has come down dramatically so far this year, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. As we came into this year, that PE ratio was at 41. So we've wow. had a 12 point drop in that number since the beginning of the year. And most of our listeners have felt that in their 401ks and yeah. their IRAs, right? And for perspective on that, the highest number that that has ever reached has been 44.19. Okay. And the lowest number that has ever been going back to the 1800s has been at 4.78. Now, the mean and median of that is right around 15 or 16. Okay. So when we see that it's come from 41 down to 29, with the average being at 16, then we can see how there's room for concern that it can go down much further, another mm-hmm. 14 points. Yeah. And that is one thing that we're looking at that gives us and other conservative professionals uh, great concern about where we are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Especially with the Fed continuing to increase interest rates and stopping their open market activities, which has essentially bolstered the market for the last several years. There's one other number. Uh, that we want to look at, and that's the total market capitalization versus GDP ratio, which is another leading indicator of, of the health of the market. And right now, that's at right around 153%. So what does that mean? Break that down for me. So that is a ratio of the whole nation's gross domestic product mm-hmm. and versus what the market is valued at. So the market capitalization at 153 is representing, you know, how much are we valuing our output versus what our output really is. Uh, okay. okay. That makes, yeah. And experts are fairly aligned in saying that anything over 
is significantly overvalued, that the market mm-hmm. is much higher value in terms of its street price for the, all of the, sh- the stock mm-hmm. uh, than the, the product of the, of the nation. Okay. Yeah. And that too has been coming down as the price comes down. And we look at what an average on that is, you know, most experts think that a between 93 and 114 is a fair valuation of the market as a relation to the gross domestic product. Mm-hmm. Okay. So these numbers are what take, you know, give guys like myself reason to be concerned about what the future looks like. And then I want to look at that in the context of kind of the history of the market, you know, because, you know, when we go back to, I'm not going to go back to the tulips. You know, you've been around the, the, us long enough that you've heard of the tulip craze and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and, uh, and the history of, uh, of market busts and booms. But what people don't really understand is that the history of the market is full of these periods where we have long secular bull markets and long secular bear markets. Most of our listeners that have been saving have experienced when they were paying attention, secular bull markets, long periods of growth, as opposed to secular bear markets, long periods of loss or Mm -hmm. not growth. And if you go back to kind of the beginning of the modern investing era, uh, 1897, you know, we start out that period with nine years of, uh, of good growth, uh, 100 and call it 150% growth over nine years between uh, 1897 and uh, 1906, you know, that turn of the century. Industrial mm-hmm. Revolution is fully kicked in. Uh, and then in 1906, we have a little bit of an event, right? And that leads to 18 years where over that 18 years, the Dow Jones had a loss of 4.29%. Over the entire time? Over the entire time. Okay. So, so, you know, the, 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 the marketers of Wall Street have you kind of focusing on short-term gyration, but it, but to the exclusion of the reality that we have these long periods of time where the market doesn't perform the way that we have been led to believe. Mm-hmm. So we come out of 1924, which ends that 18-year run, and we have a good five years uh, where we have just under 300% return over those five years in the Dow, which gets followed in 1829, another little period that we've heard mm-hmm. about before, right? And that kicks off 25 years where the market is basically flat. Mm that the Dow Jones over that 25 years only increased by 1.69%. Yeah, that's quite flat. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and for this audience, the ramifications of retiring in one of those periods when we are using the market to try to grow our assets as well as to take income out as we've talked about before, that is a devastating impact on mm-hmm. that savings. But if we go into 1954, uh, now we have a handful of good years, 11 good years that come out of that, where that we have about 150% growth in the Dow. Uh, and then in 1966, things go to hell in a handbasket again. And we go on to 17 years where the Dow is flat at just under 1% growth for 17 years. Wow. 
And then we get into 82 uh, and the Reagan revolution, the supply side economics kicks in and we have between 82 and 99, 17 years of extraordinary growth. We have almost a thousand percent cumulative return during that period of time. Jeez. And this is the time that has informed many investors thinking of the market. Many of the people that you know, listen to this program, many of the mm-hmm. people I work with, because this is when they first started paying attention. Uh, this is when they came out of that Carter era, stagflation era that we've talked about, the, uh, the 70s coming back into this era of the 401k, of the IRA, of well, going on into the dot-com boom, right? This is the mentality that people have about the market, that, yes, the market always goes up because we had those 17 years, which led to 2000, the dot-com bust, which kicked off another period of time, 11 years, where the Dow was basically flat again. Mm-hmm. And then we had some boom years that came after that, after 2020, yeah, yeah, 2010. And then we have what's going on now, where the market is dropping, as I believe, much farther to go. So, you know, what people don't appreciate, again, and the takeaway from today is we do have these long periods of time where there is in the big indexes that there is no growth. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, you know, there always are opportunities in the market for people that are actively watching mm-hmm. and actively investing. But what's happened uh, since the 80s, as the mutual fund complexes have grown, they're, they're behemoths now, uh, where the investor has moved from individual stocks and bonds into these mutual funds that have realized that the the market has realized and the marketing of the market has made known is that few of them, a few mutual funds beat indexes. So what's happened over the course of those last, I'll call them last two decades is the focus has gone to cost containment in driving down the cost of investing. Mm -hmm. It's been a race to the bottom because the mutual funds, by and large, very few of them beat indexes. And so the very wise approach that was taken by Bogle and Vanguard made it popular and really known. Okay, so let's, let's make it low cost. Let's go to index funds because the mutual funds don't buy, beat. But what's happened to the detriment of the investor is part of that equation is the, reg- the regular uh, rebalancing of those indexes to deal with the cycle, the cyclical nature of mm-hmm, the different mm-hmm. indexes and the different areas of the investing world. And so people have lost that. And so now where I've seen in my, in my review of hundreds, if not thousands of, of portfolios over the last few years is that so many people are in low cost index funds using a buy and hold strategy. And so what that means in the current market is that their portfolio is very likely to experience what the market itself does. Yeah. 
So many people, as they're approaching retirement, again, having been schooled in a bull market, that cost is a drag. We got to avoid that at all at all costs, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is absolutely right. But when we go into a market that's long term flat, or even losing money, then you need to have somebody that's there that's more active, looking for opportunities mm-hmm. if we need that. And God forbid, if you're using that portfolio to generate income to live off of, you have to be even more mindful uh, of how that is constructed because you're fighting a losing battle during a long period of low growth. Yeah. That's a lot. And that's a lot to take in. I mean, as you were talking, Greg, I, I pictured Lake Mead. I don't know if you've been seeing what's going on with Lake I Mead. I have. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it, 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 and this is just the way my brain works. It could be completely broken. I have no idea. Ask my wife, but <laughs> The way my brain works is I was picturing Lake Mead and somebody sitting in a boat, right? It's dropping and it's dropping and it's dropping. And some people will just sit in that boat and just say, well, it's, it's got to it's gotta go back up. It's got to go back up at some point. And you know what? Rains will come and, and water will you know rise again or whatever, possibly. But the problem is the lower it gets, the more skeletons are coming out, the more wreckage that we see at the bottom of the lake, it gets worse. If there was a way to possibly get out of that lake going into another lake, right? That isn't losing all its water at that point. Wouldn't that make a happier fisherman, a happier person in a boat? I would think so, right? But without somebody guiding them and saying, hey, why don't you steer this direction, come over here, go this direction or this way, instead of just sitting there, they have nothing but to do, but let the lake control or let the market control where they're at and where they're going. So I, I see the value of not timing the market. You've talked about that before, but at the same time, what you're talking about now is absolutely important because somebody's got to watch the level of that specific lake to say, here's a better option for you. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good analogy or not. No, that's a fantastic analogy, Eric. And uh, yeah, people are just sitting there watching and waiting to see the skeletons. (laughs) And unfortunately there have been some. So what do we do? Right. I mean, this, I don't come to your podcast, (laughs) join you in this podcast for uh, just the history and just the education. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Usually when you, when you have these types of podcasts, besides just saying, find somebody who's going to help, you know, monitor it and manage it. What else can people be doing? What should they be thinking about? Or what questions should they be asking of their current advisor to find out if they're actually paying attention? Well, the questions are really uh, the key right here, mm-hmm. right? You know, what is the strategy? Is it just a buy and hold strategy uh, for us long term? And with that, uh, you know, what is their defense? If they're, if, if, you know, why, where is it written in finance uh, that I, as the investor, have to suffer 30, 40, 50% loss mm. uh, and, and do this repeatedly. It doesn't make sense. And in you know, the every problem, there's an opportunity, right? One of the problems right now is the Fed is raising interest rates. Well, the opportunity of that is I can stop losing money and I can start moving money over into a little higher yield savings now. Okay. You know, there needs to be some strategy. Uh, and, um, when we look at a buy and hold, you know, when you're talking to your advisor, have them model out for you. Okay, with what you're doing, 
if we did have 10 years of no growth, where will I be? How's that going to look? If, I, if we have uh, this volatility that we've seen over the last few years, what does that look like? And, and don't settle for this pretty confusing um, graph that has lines all over the place, which they call a Monte Carlo analysis that says, don't look at the two outlier sides. Look at the middle. This is your 95% probability or your 10% probability of failure uh, area. Don't take that, you know. Mm-hmm. The right tools have to be used the right way. Uh, there are tools that people can use to get through this by opening up the toolbox. Yeah. But too many people have people that uh, are their advisors that have a limited tool set. So we okay. need to broaden our horizons. We need to look for what is appropriate for this market. All right. Uh, is there anything else? I'm going to ask you a couple final questions, but is there anything else that you need to convey on today's podcast? Eric, that's uh, that's pretty much what I wanted to accomplish with our chat today. So okay. uh, I'll, I'll eagerly await your questions. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's very, very simple. I know that you've been very open to the audience contacting you and asking you questions directly. I would love for you to be able to help them form some questions that they need to be asking their advisor, like the one you already stated. What is the strategy? What are our options? Those are a couple of the questions. But if people are saying, you know what, I would like to have a little, I would like to be armed, if you will. I don't want to, I don't know if that's an appropriate word or not, but I want to be able to go into my, my advisor and ask them some specific questions that they should have the answers to. Can they reach out to you to get those questions, to get some help in not a confrontation? I don't want to call it that, but a lot of people that I've spoken to that their advisor d- doesn't communicate very well with them. They don't communicate in these times when it's the seas are a little bit rough, right? Or the lake is getting low. Would you be open to them contacting you to find out what they should be really figuring out? You know, Eric, uh, we do offer uh, to people that are fans of this program, uh, our complimentary uh, retirement uh, assessment uh, that would just kind of give them the truth of what they've got. Uh, that will arm them with the questions that they need to ask uh, their advisor uh, to see if they're being protected the way they should be at this point in time. All right. How do they, how do they get that? Just need to reach out to me. Uh, They can do that by email to Greg at DuPontWealth.com. That's G-R-E-G at D-U-P-O-N-T-W-E-A-L-T-H.com. Or they can give me a holler at 614-408-0004. All right, Greg, again, thank you so much for your time. Incredibly important information. There's a silver lining, right? They can they can contact you and find out what they need to know and, and kind of find out what the health of their current situation is. So I appreciate that very much. Uh, it's my pleasure to serve, Eric. All right. And our last thank you, of course, goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Greg comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you like the podcast, share it, and write a review because this actually does help other people find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at DuPont Wealth Solutions, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Your Financial Advocate. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of DuPont Wealth Solutions. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 